0: Get your money every Friday, happy endings are the rule. So divide up those in darkness from the ones who walk in love. Light them up, boys, there's your picture. Drop the shadow out of sight. This is Jennifer Stone with Stone's Throw, and today is Tuesday, March the 2nd. Ah, yes, I voted. Vote early and vote often. That's my advice to you. I vote at my residence right here in Berkeley. I live at the Harriet Tubman Terrace, and we have a voting booth down there in our multipurpose room. It's so convenient. The um, polling place is staffed by my neighbors. Last weekend, we had our Black History Month uh, celebration, we had a dinner and I read some uh, some of the bits from a new biography of Harriet Tubman. It's written by Catherine Clinton. It's uh, little brown and co. It's still in hardback, but it's called Harriet Tubman, The Road to Freedom. And it's in the bookstores now. I want to read a little bit of that today. Uh, In the fond hope that history, uh, the, I was going to say role models, I'm not crazy about that word, how about the moral examples of the past, might give us a little jump start, a little goose, a boost. Something to fill us full of courage, which is something that I think we citizens need just now. (laughs) I look back at what it took to make what was called a regime change in the 1860s. You remember that little um, uh, regime change. I realized that we, too, can make a change, uh, make a revolution. We can change the direction in which our nation is headed. I hope that, uh, well, you may have watched part of the Academy Awards this past weekend. Uh, the fellow who made... The movie Fog of War, the movie about Robert Ma- McNamara, uh, he got a an Oscar for his documentary. And it was my impression when he got up there behind the microphone that he had a drop taken. That is, that he may have been a little drunk. Anyway, he talked about um, Robert McNamara and the fact that um, 40 years ago, the United States went down the rabbit hole, is the way he put it in Vietnam, and millions of human beings died as a result, and he suggested that he had fears that perhaps the same thing might be happening again. Uh, That was about the only thing I noticed at the Academy Awards. It was reasonably apolitical, all things considered. Uh, I hope you did hear Ramsey Clark this morning on Amy Goodman's uh, our Ramsey Clark is an elder now. He has that long historical view. He sees the the overall pattern. He sees that military arrogance is, uh, I think, out of control. Um, it certainly has shouldered Aristide out of uh, Haiti, and this general this general antagonism to any progressive. Governments in Latin America, Brazil, Venezuela, all those places where, uh, yes, uh, liberals fear to tread. Um, I think for me, I didn't get it. I think I got it back about the time. Uh, it was about the time uh, the United States decided to uh, back the coup in Chile. And then I realized that there was a, uh, let's call it as uh, a permanent a permanent mindset in Washington um, and that we were going to have to watch out uh, this Pax Americana. I don't think it's inevitable. Uh, A lot of people, a lot of historians act as if we had no choice. I don't see any reason why we can't moderate this situation. Uh, John Kerry might be a big help. Um, He certainly got Vietnam. He was there and he got the picture, he integrated that information, and surely he is aware that there are kinder, gentler ways of ruling the world. Um, it may even be possible to live in the world in a real politic without total dominance, without uh, uh, absolute cruelties, uh, with a capacity to share some of the Earth's resources to uh, see to it that those who need things most are the first to be considered. Uh, for me, this task begins uh, with a regime change in Washington, D.C. Over and over again, I keep yammering at my friends that politics is the art of the possible. They seem to expect miracles, and sometimes I think they are delighted when... Uh, when they don't happen, I said you know what we try to do is make things a little bit better every day. It's kind of a mom's mentality. I have this uh illusion that we can unify the left. It may not be an illusion. At least at least we can come together once every four years. Try to vote the party rather than the person. Stop all this celebrity nonsense of uh, I I know that there will never be harmony for those of us on the left. We're always expanding and changing and finding new ways to argue, but unity we must have from time to time, or we will perish. Check out a writer, George Packer. I like George. I'm getting more and more interested in George Packer. There's a piece... In the New Yorker magazine, that's in the library, February 16th and 23rd, that big issue, February 16th and 23, New Yorker magazine, article called A Democratic World. It's under Annals of Politics. In that article, A Democratic World, Packer suggests that liberals take foreign policy back. You know, come up with a plan, folks, how to tackle terrorism Yes, Senator Biden got millions, you know, for schools and good things in Afghanistan. And then a couple of months later, he turned around and it was all gone. Uh, Forty times as much money on the military as on um, the civilian infrastructure on uh, the foreign aid to those countries. Forty to one. What do you expect? Packer suggests that... Um, we can take foreign policy back from the Republicans, but only if we come up with a plan. And as you know, they've had a plan now for damn near half a century. Um, I personally would suggest that we get God back. Um, trying to think of ways we could do that. Uh, anyway, claim the spiritual high ground, the moral high ground. I don't know how they walked off with that. I think that's that... Uh, Family values B.S. And this, folks, this is where my hero for the day, Harriet Tubman, comes in. Harriet Tubman, of course, had a direct line to God, right through. No bureaucracy, nothing in between. She just asked, she said, you know, what should I do? And he told her what to do. Go back, you know, get your people. They called her Moses when I was young. I had some trouble with the Christianity context, you know. Uh, I was stuck, you know, history bothered me. But then I thought about it and a friend of mine said, listen, skip the labels. If it helps you, just ask yourself, what would Gandhi do? Or Martin Luther King, you know, or Jesus Christ. I mean, uh the uh, historical Jesus. <laughs> Not... Not the one at the movies, yes. Please, a footnote here. I don't mean to get off the track, folks, but I do have to say, if there's anybody out there who thinks about taking their children to see Mel Gibson's movie about Jesus Christ, uh please, 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 please don't take the children to see this chainsaw massacre. <laughs> it's about Christ as a an avenger. Uh, back to blood and myth. In a... Peculiar kind of way, the movie does reflect the zeitgeist, the spirit of the age. It tells me who some of us are, and I shudder. Please don't take the children to see that picture. Uh, Anyway, back to Gandhi and uh, Harriet Tubman and those people who try to be uh, mothers and fathers to their people, to their country. Uh, to all of us, Harriet was definitely a patriot in the old tradition. She even used lines like, give me liberty or give me death. Uh, now, what is most interesting about this biography, uh, I was delighted to learn that Harriet uh, Harriet was not just the mother of her people. She may also have had uh, a life as a biological mother. Now, she claimed that this child... Margaret was a niece but there's plenty of evidence that uh, this rather light-skinned child um, was her own except for the light skin the child seems to have been uh, almost an identical look alike the pictures in this wonderful biography show you that uh, Margaret and her daughter Alice certainly look like um, Harriet's child and grandchild Margaret, Margaret Lucas, as she was later, was born about 1850. And Harriet Tubman's husband, John, um, well, he he had let her down. And uh, I think she may have been going through some bad times. Uh, and when this child was conceived, uh, her husband, he didn't want to flee with her. He didn't want to leave Maryland with her. He was free. John Tubman was a free black and... He must have loved her when they were married. Uh, she was 19, but after five years, there were no children, and she wanted to flee to the north. She was talking about taking off, and John went and married this woman, Caroline. He went and left Harriet. Uh, Harriet had been uh, living away from him for about two years. She was uh, hired out, but this woman, Caroline, had children with John, so Harriet's heart was pretty much broken she said that at first she wanted to make trouble later she said that she thought about it a long time but then finally she decided that well if he could do without her she could learn to do without him now if she did have a child during these difficult years she would have had to find a home a place a safe place for this child and uh, Margaret was raised in the home of free blacks in Maryland. Uh, Harriet was on the run and she was caught up in uh, some tough times. She was born Araminta Ross, A R A M I N T A, Araminta Ross. Her parents were Harriet Green and Benjamin Ross. She didn't take the name Harriet, her mom's name, until she claimed her freedom, until she uh, went north. She took off in September 1849. There's a little piece here from a newspaper, the Cambridge Democrat. They promised a reward. <laughs> if anyone wants to return it. Here, here's a quote. Minty, M-I-N-T-Y. Minty, aged about 27 years, is of a chestnut color, fine looking, and about five feet high. There's a reward offered of $50 if located in Maryland, $100 if found out of state. <laughs> now, before I forget, I just want to tell you that uh, Harriet did find happiness in her personal life. Uh, after the Civil War ended, she met and married a young black soldier. Uh, he'd had tuberculosis and she nursed him back to health. She took care of everybody. Uh, anyway, um When they got married in 1869, he was 25, and she was at least 20 years older. Uh, In the photos, they look much the same age. Nobody seems to have taken any notice of the fact that she was 20 years older. Uh, And the marriage went on for uh, 19 years until he died. Uh, She survived him another couple of decades, another two decades, Harriet uh, Lived a long, long life. His name was Charles Nelson Davis. Several names given, but that is the one that seems to uh, emerge. He did help his wife. Uh, helped her in all her post-war efforts to build a home for the homeless. She did this. She took care of everybody from orphans to epileptics to uh, veterans of the war. She became a major philanthropist, and this went on for 30 years, you know. She worked for women's suffrage. <laughs> I think it was, yes, one woman, or Susan B. Anthony, somebody anyway, asked Harriet if she thought women should have the vote, and <laughs> she laughed, and she said, you're, tra- you're asking me that? Anyway, she tried to get a pension from the United States the government, for her war service, she finally got a pittance. Uh, it took her 30 years, but she got small amounts. Uh, she did get help from uh, a number of folks, abolitionists, good people. Uh, she knew them all from Frederick Douglass to uh, John Brown. John Brown was a great inspiration to her. She got some uh, a great deal of help from William Seward, now, William Seward, for those of you who aren't historians, uh, William Seward was Abraham Lincoln's Secretary of State. And his wife, William Seward's wife, Frances, was a mentor and mother figure, a uh, caretaker to Margaret, this uh, so-called adopted daughter of Harriet's. Um, when the little girl was eight, Harriet went down south and brought her back up and... Uh, Frances Seward took care of her. She, little Margaret, may even have been in the Seward home in Washington, D.C., when an assassin attempted to murder the Secretary of State on April 14th, 1865. So she would have been 14 or 15, a teenager. That was the same night Lincoln was shot, of course. William Seward survived with part of his face paralyzed. There are pictures of Seward here in the book. Uh, Lots of pictures. I was not aware that there were that many photographs uh, from this period. Margaret later married Henry Lucas. She had a full, rich life, family life, seven children. And most of what we have in this biography, this biography of Harriet Tubman by Catherine Clinton called The Road to Freedom from Little Brown, most of the material, well, the quotes, are from Alice. That would be, um, well, we suspect, Harriet Tubman's grandchild or grandniece. The way she tells it, uh, Margaret was a child of one of her brothers. Now, um, Alice explicitly commented that her mother, uh, Margaret, bore a striking resemblance to Harriet. Uh, and she finally confessed um, that there is part of the family, quote, this is a quote, there is part of our family history that is better never told. The family is divided as to color. Now, as I said, Margaret was light-skinned and some family members uh, accused her of being a bit of a snob. They said that Margaret was, quote, a Pumpkin-colored hussy. (laughs) Alice suggests that her mother Margaret's personality was so much like Harriet Tubman's that aspects of her character just may have been hereditary. Obviously, Harriet and Margaret shared a lifelong bond. Whatever the relationship was, um, what it does tell us, what it speaks to, is that the ills of slavery were so deep that there were secrets uh, surrounding her heritage that even the children uh, didn't feel they could talk about. Now, if Harriet had given birth to this child while she was in Maryland, then Margaret would have been legally a slave, you see. So it may have been um, more than just a, a social problem here. Um, It was obviously a a motivation, possibly, for her flight to freedom. Uh, It's hard to say. What counts is Harriet Tubman's determination to give her child or her niece or adopted child a real life, a childhood, a life such as she herself had never known. Uh, The curious thing for me is that everything I had heard about Harriet Tubman up to now was pretty much oh you know the kind of jolly childhood history lesson about this this um fugitive slave who was a soldier and a spy and a nurse and uh ran the underground railroad uh it it was the stuff of um romance what this biography gives us is the real history of a woman who was even more remarkable than all these um, stories we've heard about her. Uh, how she kept it up, I don't know, trying to get $8 a month from the federal government. Mm, some of us know what that's all about. I want to read to you just one little section here, uh, a little description. Those of you who know the story of Harriet Tubman know that she suffered a wound to the head and that ever after she was a visionary... Some say a prophet. She had dreams. She had one dream of John Brown. She saw him as a great snake at one point, and then he turned into a man with a big gray beard, and sure enough, it was John Brown. Come to be an abolitionist. Okay, here it is. Um, Catherine Clinton describes a little road in Dorchester County in Maryland, a little... Structure that could have been, might have been the little village store where Harriet Tubman took this blow to the head. Uh, she describes it in a very romantic way and she says when Araminta, that's Harriet, when Harriet was an adolescent, she was hired out to work for a man named Barrett, another slave, a male co-worker, left the fields and headed toward Bucktown, the owner Followed, and Araminta raced ahead to warn her fellow field hand, knowing there would be trouble. Confrontation between white and black took place at this crossroads in a small village store. The overseer was determined to punish the field hand, who had deserted his post. In other words, there was going to be a whipping. In the confusion of the confrontation, the frightened slave bolted from the store. As the slave made haste, Araminta... ...reportedly blocked the angry overseer's path of pursuit by standing in the doorway... ...just as he picked up a lead weight from the counter and threw it at the escapee. This weight hit Araminta in the head and delivered a stunning blow. The overseer was accountable for neither his temper nor his bad aim. Her wound was deep and severe. Later, she recalls she had been wearing a covering on her head... When the weight struck her, it, quote, broke my skull, cut a piece of that shawl clean off, and drove it into my head. They carried me to the house, all bleeding and fainting. I had no bed, no place to lie down on at all. They lay me on the seat of the loom. I stayed there all that day and the next. Anyway, her condition was so grave that she was sent back to her owner, She was always being hired out, yes. Uh, The report said she was, quote, not worth a sixpence. Her parents feared she might never recover. In the following weeks, she would slip into, quote, a lethargic sleep from which it was almost impossible to awaken her. These spells would come over her without warning. Her family could do little for her but pray. She lay in a sickbed for months on end. Her owner tried to sell her. Luckily for the family, he could find no takers. Um, It is interesting that Araminta, Harriet Tubman, was constantly being hired out to uh, others. She did not take to being a house slave. She was not the submissive type. She did not knuckle under. She seemed to prefer the hard work in the fields, at least with her own people, uh, to the unpleasant... um, nastiness of the women in the household. Now, there is a man, a local entrepreneur, who hired Araminta, Harriet, and uh, several of her brothers. And um, if I were making the movie, I would pick this guy as the father of this child, Margaret. We don't know for sure, but in a couple of places, uh, Margaret's last name is Stuart, this guy's name was John Stewart. Now, whether this was a consensual relationship, uh, we do not know. There's certainly no evidence to that effect. Uh, John Stewart had employed many people in Harriet's family, including her father, for many years. Anyway, he built up a thriving lumber business and cleared land. Obviously, he was what we call one of the better sort um, he was doing very well, and he had five sons, four daughters. Uh, let's see, he supported uh, four slaves, two free blacks, and what he did um, was he did some incentive uh, pay, and actually it seems that she was able to save up enough money to buy a couple of steers. Uh, interesting. We don't really know an awful lot. You're going to have to get this book and figure it out for yourself. It may just be that this guy, Stuart, was the father of Harriet's child. What is interesting, of course, is that in spite of all these little bits and pieces, she still wanted more than anything to get her freedom. Her father was granted his freedom in 1840, having reached the age of 45, her mother had been promised the same but was cheated. Uh, in those days, of course, uh, unless the slave could read and get a lawyer, all that had to happen was an owner, you know, could die and the papers would suddenly be lost. That's what happened to Harriet's mom. Um, I remember studying that years and years ago. I didn't understand it. It was in Harriet Beecher Stowe's novel, uh, Uncle Tom's Cabin. The notion that the papers could be lost, that the system was what was wrong. It was possible here and there once in a while to find um, uh, an ethical, if that word is usable here, an ethical owner. Someone who believed that um, if a slave had been promised freedom, they should get it. But uh, the system was so corrupt that uh, for the most part... It was honored more in the breach. Let's see. Ben Ross got his freedom. But, of course, no pension, no nothing. Uh, he was basically fired and had to go and uh, look for work. Uh, now, I have been reading to you from a book, a biography, a new biography of Harriet Tubman, a woman who has been much maligned because she's been made into an icon ...without the study having been done of her personal life and her place in history. And this book is a start. It's written by Catherine Clinton. Clinton, no relation to Bill Clinton. It's called Harriet Tubman, The Road to Freedom. It comes to us from Little Brown and Co., And I recommend it to you highly. It's still in hardback. I'm sure it will be out in paper soon and I've barely scratched the surface. Uh, it reads like a wonderful Victorian novel. I'll be back on the air Thursday morning at 8.20. Till then, go easy. And if you can't go easy, go as easy as you can. Those in darkness From the ones who walk in light Light em up, boys, there's your picture. Drop the shadow out of sight. Hey! <coughs> it's the time for the reclaiming of hate speak out in Yerba Buena Center for the Arts present Aya de Leon in her new full length version of Thieves in the Temple The Reclaiming of Hip Hop a one woman theater show directed by Ellen Sebastian Chang you could come and celebrate International Women's Day with Aya on Sunday March 7th at 7.30pm at the Yerba Buena Center for the Arts Forum located at 701 Mission Street at 3rd Street in San Francisco. Cost is $18, $15 in advance also for seniors and students. Proceeds, benefits, speak out. For tickets, call the YBCA box office at 415-978-2787. One,